You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Father, I am overwhelmed by who you are. Father, for your goodness and grace and mercy, that you so richly, continually lavish upon us as your children. Father, I thank you for this opportunity this morning for us to be together as a family, to worship you in all of your glory and all of your splendor. And Father, I thank you for the way in which you're moving among your people. Father, we know too in the past few months there has been much heartache and trial within your people here. And Father, this morning I just want to say thank you for your goodness and grace. Even among trials, Father, even among darkness, thank you, Father, for shining your light so brightly among us. Thank you for being faithful to go with us and before us in every circumstance. And Father, thank you for giving us each other to love each other. Father, to reflect your goodness and grace in each other's lives, Father, as image bearers of you. And so, Father, as I stand here before you this morning, opening your word, Father, I pray that you would just continue to speak into the lives of your people. Father, I'm so insufficient for this task, Father. But, Father, I know it's not about me. It's all about you. And so, Father, would you speak to us this morning using this insufficient vessel, Father. Pour your truth into our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So good to see all of you this morning. It is so, so good to be here with you this morning. I look forward all week long to being together. So I get really excited when we're together. And so I'm so glad that you're here this morning. And we're going to continue this morning finishing out the third part of our sermon series on Let Us Pray in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And, uh, and so we're going to go there. If you have your Bibles with you or a tablet or phone, turn those on. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5 there this morning. And so as we, as we begin this morning, ladies, I want to ask you to do something for just a moment. Close your eyes, all right? Close your eyes. No peeking. Men, by a show of hands, have you ever been in the, no peeking, ladies, have you ever been in the process of putting something together or doing some type of work that involved instructions, and in that process, you neglected those instructions only to have to backtrack and fix what the instructions otherwise would have told you to do beforehand. Now, ladies, no peeking. Men, real quick, show of hands. Right, amen, put them down. All right, ladies, you put your eyes up. I raised both hands. I've been there, done that. And so... The older I've become, 
the more I've realized that instructions matter. Instructions matter because instructions communicate with us something or how to do something that we don't fully understand on our own. And so instructions for us, they provide us a roadmap. They give us directions to accomplish a task that is at hand. And I have been so bad in my life many, many times at just setting those instructions aside and then reaping the reward for having done so. And so the problem is with instructions, when we set them aside, oftentimes, at least this is the way it happens for me, things are going well for a little while, right? I've got some things figured out, got some bolts and nuts in the right places. It all looks good. But then at some point, I get a little confused. At some point, I find myself holding a part in my hand going, that should probably be on there somewhere since they sent it in the box with that item. And usually I have to take the project apart, put it back together, spend more time doing it, frustrated, you know, probably grumbling and griping. And the worst, and I've been here and done that, is I've just messed the project up entirely and I can't fix it. So I've got to go spend more money. Start all over again. In these verses in Matthew that we've been studying over the past few weeks together, Jesus has been providing us instructions. He's given us a roadmap for prayer. We've studied why we pray. We've studied to whom we pray. And today we're going to study together this one final question. And that question is this, how? How do we pray? And so believing that prayer is the foundation of our walk with our holy God in heaven, these questions, they've been important for us to answer. And I want to remind you that, that we began all of this because I believe for us as a church that we must be a praying people. If we're going to walk with God and to use, you know, a worldly term, but to be successful in mobilizing the gospel and to being true to who God has called us to be as the church, as the people of God together, then we must pray. We have to be a people of prayer. And so we've understood that the why gives us the foundational purpose for prayer. It gives us the foundational purpose for prayer within our life as we communicate with God. To whom gives us the knowledge of the depth and trust within our prayers as we realize that we are praying to, through, and by the power of our holy God. And today, we're going to look at how. And I believe that this question is of utmost importance because Jesus makes it clear that there is a proper way for us to pray. There's a proper way for us to pray, and we are going to understand that praying properly before our God is connected as much to our internal motives as our external expressions. 
How we pray is connected just as much to our internal, what's taking place in our hearts and in our minds, is just as important internally as it is externally in our expressions of prayer. And so, we're going to look today at the scripture to see how Jesus teaches us to pray, beginning in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There are three instructions that Jesus gives us here this morning on how we should pray. And how we should approach our God in heaven. We should pray secretly. We should pray intentionally. And we should pray forgivingly. And so we're going to begin first looking at the fact that we should pray secretly. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is a little awkward, right? Because how many times have we already prayed in this room together corporately? But as we unpack this in this moment, I hope we'll understand together that those corporate prayers are of God. And that's not exactly what God is talking about here in this moment to us. He's talking about our personal prayers with him. And so we're commanded by Jesus to be aware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And he ties this back all the way to verse 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so he is already, in talking about how in which we should give to the needy in those verses, those who are in need of help, he is telling us to not practice that in such a way that the world sees you doing this, that your reward will then be experienced this way. And so in this moment when Jesus says 
that they're standing in the synagogues and that they're being like hypocrites. In this moment, Jesus is bringing into our minds and into the minds of those folks who were listening to him in this moment, he is bringing the, 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 the image of an actor. In that original language that Jesus was speaking in that moment, when he, that word we translate the hypocrite, they would have literally heard an actor or an imitator. And so in this very moment, Jesus is looking at the people and he is saying, don't be an actor in your faith. And so he says, if we're only praying before people and with the intention of gaining acceptance or accolades from those people, then our prayers are prayed in vain. Our prayers are prayed in vain. We're only actors. We're only frauds. Within Jesus' context, this was a huge ordeal because the Pharisees loved to live before the people. They loved to execute their righteousness before the people. They wanted the applause. They wanted the accolades for their religious piety. They believed in their hearts that they were spiritual all-stars. They were at the top, at the top of their game. And they believed that because they were spiritual all-stars, that they should be held in high regard among the people of their community. Because they believed that they were religiously exceptional. And Jesus in this moment is saying, That if you and I, if we live in this manner, imitating the Pharisees, believing that we're spiritual all-stars, believing that we have it all together, believing that there's something a little special about us in our position before God, and if we seek the praise and the accolades of men, then that will be the only reward that we receive. That's it. That's all we get. And this is a lie from Satan because our flesh, our flesh craves the pats on the backs and the attaboys and the, I wish I was as close to Jesus as you are. I wish I was as spiritually strong as you are. Now don't hear me saying this morning that when you hear those things, that you're seeking those things. I believe if we walk in faith with God, people will recognize that. But let's go back to that internal motive. And only you and I can deal with our own selves in that respect. Who is my heart chasing? Is my heart chasing the attaboys and the praises of man? Or is my heart chasing a true and pure relationship with my Father in heaven through the work of his son Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is pointing us to the truth in this moment of death to self. If we truly die to ourselves and Jesus is Lord of our lives, then we can't, we can't desire the accolades of men for ourselves. Because our goal, our purpose as Christ followers is that Jesus would receive all the glory and all the praise and all the honor through our lives. 
This is who we're called to be as Christ followers. And so our motive, our motive is absolutely everything. And Jesus' instruction on how we should pray, praying in secret before our Father, I believe, is the antidote and the sure way to make certain that then our corporate prayers before men will be pure and perfect. Because when we pray in secret, when we go into our room, when we shut the door and pray to our Father who is in secret, it says our Father who sees us in secret will reward us. And so we combat self-seeking glory through private secretive prayer. I'm going to say that again. We combat self-seeking glory through private secretive prayer. This is how we will stay humble in our relationship with God. Jesus is telling us through secret prayer with our Father, our relationship is grown with him. And through the increase of our relationship, there will always be a deeper understanding of who we are in him and a natural decrease of our self-seeking selves. And so the more we grow in Christ, The more we grow to become like Christ, the more we will decrease in seeking ourselves and the seeking the glory for ourselves. And so to sum all of this together, to go back to that original awkward moment, here's what we have to understand. We should not pray corporately before men if we're not praying secretly in our own lives. We shouldn't. It's disastrous. Like I I would earnestly tell you, if you're not praying secretly before God, that if someone were to ask you in a corporate setting, will you pray? Answer no. Because it's not out of a true motive. We must seek the Father in secret. We must go before him. And can I be honest with you this morning? This is one of the greatest occupational hazards of vocational ministry. As pastors and ministers, if we're not careful, we can become so busy in doing ministry and loving on people and desiring to do the good works of our Father through ministry that we lack a life of prayer in secret. And so I want to ask you this morning, would you pray for us as your church pastors and staff that God would guard us from that? That God would wake us up if we're ever spiritually asleep on this reality that we must secretly be before the Father. And I want to tell you too that we will commit to praying for you. That we all together as the people of God will find ourselves in secret before the Father. And just as I said that very first Sunday, let me encourage you this morning too. If you're not praying in secret with the Father... Today's the day. Today is the day. Set aside a little bit of time, and I promise you, God will honor that. Just see what he does. It'll be marvelous. And so today is the day for us to seek the Father in secret if we're not already doing so. So we must pray secretly, but we also must pray intentionally. We look there in verses 7 through 13. I'm not going to read those again. 
But I will read this part. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then Jesus gives us that model prayer. And so Jesus in this moment is alluding to syncretism. Jesus in this moment is saying that there is a blend of false worship and true worship of God in the prayers of people. And so we see that the Pharisees were wanting the praise of man. So they're standing on the street corners and they're heralding, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me. Well, the pagan worshipers, the Gentiles, they had a little bit different idea. They believed that if they mechanically expressed empty phrases and continually called upon their false deities, that they would then conjure up more work among those deities. There was a belief that doing this would gain them greater status and greater attention before their God. And it's no different than my children coming up to me and going, Dad, 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 when all they need to say is, Dad. But it was this mindless, constant pursuit of just speaking phrases and trying to conjure up their deities. And God is telling us in this moment that he is not interested in empty religious expressions. God wants to hear from our heart. God wants us to be intentional in talking to him. When I talk to Leah, I don't babble. Maybe some, she says I mumble, but oftentimes I don't babble. I don't go in with, you know, recited thoughts. I just talk to her from my heart. When I talk to you, I talk to you from my heart. This is what our Father in heaven desires from us as his children, for us to speak from him intentionally from our hearts. And I also don't want you to hear me in this moment saying that we can't write or read or recite known prayers. But what it does mean is that our hearts have to be engaged in every moment of prayer. God wants our hearts. If our hearts are not involved, then our prayers are empty. Our prayers are frivolous. They are disobedient before God. And so Jesus gives us intentionally a model for us to follow. He gives us instructions right here in front of us. And I really unpacked that in the first sermon. If you didn't hear that in the series, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. I don't have time to do that today. But what I want us to understand as we think about prayer and as we look at this intentional model from Jesus is that our prayers should be focused upon the Father and who he is first and foremost. And out of that worship and belief that he cares for us and knowing that his will is far better than anything that we can think or dream, then we then and only then focus upon our needs and ask that God would supply our needs in accordance with his will. See, prayer is all about who God is. And it's us submitting to him 
seeking him intentionally. And so we seek the Father, we seek his will and desires, and we ask him to lead us in righteousness. And so the Pharisees, they wanted to be held in high esteem. The Gentiles, they they wanted to conjure up a stronger position. And both of these people, Jesus is telling us today, they were heretical. They were heretical in their approach before God. None of it None of it was true of who God is, and it should not be true of our prayers. Jesus is instructing us this morning that we should pray secretly and we should pray intentionally. And finally, this last instruction that Jesus gives us, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a little warning, right? A little spoiler alert. This is going to be the hardest one. This is going to be the hardest one. But I also want to tell you this before we even get there, that everything that we've talked about over the last three weeks, it hinges upon this very idea, and it's this. We pray forgivingly. We pray forgivingly. Look what Jesus says. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then in verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. At the core of our faith is a hope in Jesus that is rooted in forgiveness. You and I are alive in Christ Jesus because of forgiveness. The same God to whom we pray is the same God who reconciled us from the sin that had destined us to hell and brought us unto himself through forgiveness and destined us to eternal life in heaven with him forever. Everything that we rejoice in is rooted in forgiveness. We should thank God every day for the forgiveness that we have experienced. There's a bloody stained cross and an empty tomb and a resurrected Savior seated at the right hand of the Father that says to you and me today that we have been forgiven or you can be forgiven. And so we must rejoice daily. We must rejoice daily in the forgiveness of God, knowing and believing that God has allowed us to experience this. And apart from that forgiveness, there is no relationship with our God in heaven. There is no prayer to be experienced. And so forgiveness is a beautiful gift to us by God that we must cherish. Forgiveness is so, so easy to receive, right? So easy to receive. I've never had someone tell me, I forgive you, and I'm like, no, 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 take that back. If we recognize that we have wronged someone, if we recognize that we have messed up something in another person's life, and and we earnestly and eagerly know this, then we would never look at someone and say, nope, you keep your forgiveness. I'm good. 
Forgiveness is so easy. So easy to receive, but it is so incredibly difficult to give. And Jesus expects that you and I will forgive. There are no qualifications here. There are no commas and, but if someone's done this or, you know, or this scenario, it changes things. No, Jesus says that we should forgive, period. The way our Father in heaven has forgiven us. I want us to be very careful in this moment, too, to not hear Jesus saying that if you have not forgiven someone around you, that you cannot experience eternal forgiveness. Right? Because if we have to have a condition to forgive someone in order to be eternally forgiven, that puts works in the midst of our salvation, and that's unbiblical. Jesus has done all the work for us to be saved. Jesus is talking to people who were a part of the faith, those who have been eternally forgiven. And he is telling us today that he has accomplished the work of eternal salvation, but if you are living your life in Christ with unforgiveness, bitterness, anger in your heart, then your relationship with the Father in heaven is not right. It's not what it could be. It's skewed. There's a gap. Something has gone awry. And so it's very conditional in this moment that Jesus says, if you do not forgive, there is a direct consequence that takes place. And that consequence is that our relationship with our Father in heaven is now not what it needs to be. Just a couple sentences before, Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we can't even pray that prayer if we have unforgiveness in our hearts. Because Jesus' will, the Father's will on earth as it is in heaven, would be that you and I would forgive. And so you begin to see that there's a trail of breadcrumbs that, that are attached to unforgiveness in our lives. It messes up every aspect of our walk with our Father. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes in Ephesians 4, 32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And so there it is at the heart of the matter. Paul tells us explicitly, we forgive because we have been forgiven. And I know that's a very black and white way to say that. And I know that we can sit here this morning and go through scenario after scenario that would be insanely difficult to forgive someone. But let me remind us this morning as the children of God that every one of us in this room, to use the words of R.C. Sproul, has committed cosmic treason upon our, fatherly, our heavenly Father in heaven through our sin, and yet he has chosen to forgive us. And so when we forgive, we are reminded that it's not about us. It's not in our own power. It's not in our own strength. It's by and through the power of God, knowing and believing that we forgive because we have been forgiven. As children of God, we should be quick to forgive. 
I often say that we are most like Jesus when we are showing grace. We're most like Jesus when we're showing grace. And forgiveness does not exist apart from grace. And in order to truly forgive someone, there has to be a recognition that daily we are experiencing forgiveness from God. And if we're going to be image bearers, reflecting the image of God to this world, then we too must be forgivers. Jesus calls us to put down the bitterness. Jesus is calling us to put down the anger. He's calling us to put down the resentment, the frustrations, the fears, and the vengeance. And he's calling us to heap forgiveness to those who have willfully wronged us. Everything we have talked about over the past three weeks hinges upon this truth. We must forgive because we have been forgiven. How we pray, church, matters. We cannot toss the instruction manual aside. Jesus intentionally taught us how to pray. And so we would not be very smart to toss his instructions to the side and say, we, we got this. Let's look to Jesus. Let's trust him and knowing that his ways are right. Let's put away religion and let's focus upon Jesus. Knowing that we have an incredible opportunity to communion with God daily. I pray for us here at Southside that we would marvel at this truth daily. That we would be a people who pray secretly. A people who pray intentionally. And a people who pray forgivingly. Any tr church that has any struggles at the root is always unforgiveness. Something went wrong. Someone acted sinful. And then there's unforgiveness. And it's like a scar. Too often it's like a scab. So we as the people of God we have to be forgiving of each other and beyond, knowing and believing that we have been forgiven first. Father in heaven, we love you.